Hawkeyes News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. I, I couldn't run when I was playing. I could not run, so yeah, that wasn't going to change. So you find a way to be successful given who you are, what your abilities, you know, what your conditions might be. Kirk Ferentz really getting into the philosophy of what Iowa football is in 2023. We'll hear more from that uh, soundbite from Tuesday's presser in just a little bit. But welcome to Eye on the Hawks, our pre-Rutgers edition. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell here. Breaking everything down between the Hawkeyes and Scarlet Knights and also just looking over the Hawkeyes as we go into Game 10 of the 2023 campaign. Of course, if you're watching the live stream on YouTube as it's happening at 1 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, thanks for joining us. But of course, there's plenty of other spots you can follow Eye on the Hawks. Just search Eye on the Hawks on Twitter. You can also go to the Iowa's News Now YouTube channel and the Instagram feed. That's where you've got more digestible clips on those social media ones. We chop up a little bit of the, the podcast. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, that's where you get all the highlights and everything else. So a good visual there if you want to do that. Of course, if you just want to go the audio route, we are wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's start with Kirk Ferens with a 7-2 and two team, 4-2 and two and a game up in the Big Ten West with three to play, being asked about how he gets this team year in and year out, particularly these last couple of years, to just play within the margins and more often than not win those super close games, even when you're struggling with an offensive unit that just can't seem to find a, a rhythm. But you've got elite defense and special teams. Here is Kirk Ferentz on just that finding a way mentality in Iowa City. I think a big part of anything you do in life is understanding. I, I couldn't run when I was playing. I could not run so yeah, that wasn't going to change. So you find a way to be successful given who you are, what your abilities, you know, what your conditions might be. In football, they change. You know, injuries change them. Weather might change them, whatever. Uh, so you just try to, you know, you try to bend and yield towards who you are, what you are, what you can do. Uh, our 0-2 team was very different than the 0-4 team, but they were both extremely successful. And so, you know, you just try to find a path that's going to work for you at that given time. And it, it's, you know, as we know, it changes almost daily, certainly weekly. Uh, but, you know, now we're nine games into the season. So, you know, every team starts to build an identity. And I think it's pretty clear who we are, what we are. So let's embrace that and let's work on finding a way to be successful, knowing who we are. And uh, that's, that's pretty much all I know. I mean, it's like, you know, how we've done things for 25 years. And when I was here for the nine and the 80s, it's pretty much the same deal. A lot of familiar Kirk tropes there, of course, referencing being there 25 years and time in the 80s. But knowing who you are, embracing who you are, and making the best of the situation, does that help you guys accept this team a little more? I think it's, it's again, kind of zen and philosophical of Kirk. We've talked about maybe aware of, of what they are and just doing the best with what they got. Is that, I'm not sure that will help the fan base uh, <laughs> complain less about any uh, observed offensive slights, but... What do you guys think about that mentality? At least they know who they are. There's something to be said for that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like you say, I don't think that that helps fans too much when they want more points on the board and they want, you know, maybe to compete for a Big Ten title every year. And, I I mean, what's going to be curious is if uh, if that mentality stays and if that philosophy still is able to hold with a new look Big Ten when uh, those Pac-12 schools come in and we're playing USC and Washington and, um, you know, whoever's on the schedule next year, um, if, uh, if that philosophy is still going to going to hold up in the future. That's the main thing. The year-to-year thing, the year-to-year, we are who we are now after all these injuries, you know, nine games in. Um, 
I get that, but it's been three years, you know. They, they tried to make some changes in the offseason. Obviously, brought in Cade, got hurt. Um, Eric got hurt. He, he was really doing really well this year. That's the hard, tough, the hard pill to swallow is just the – you know, this defense is ranked like fourth overall in scoring defense, and it's been top five for the past three years. And with an average offense, this I feel like this program could have at least one Big Ten title or at least contend. You know, I know they were in it a few years ago, but they didn't really contend in that game. So that's where the frustration comes. And it's not just the fans want more points. It's if you score more points, you're going to win more games. And they already win a lot. So yeah. you could just be in the upper, upper echelon of, of college football with with a decent offense. Do you feel like there is something to be said? I know that's always, that's mm-hmm. always the boy if they just had – just average 25 points a game. I wonder where that number came from. But uh, if you did something like that, but they're 25 and 11 since the start of 2021 with an offense that at this point now is just a, a punchline nationally. I don't know. They still do monologues on late night shows. If they were doing it that way, the, it'd be, you know, Letterman would be out there doing that stuff. Colbert and those guys, <laughs> obviously. Are you almost impressed by that, though? I, I mean, was... do you get to a point where you're just like, they don't score points and they're 25 and 11. They got a shot at... 28, 29 wins in a three-year span when you do have an offense that averages, I think, over that span and it's dropped off over the years, like 260 yards a game. I was joking with friends this week that if I wasn't an Iowa fan, I'd love Iowa uh, football. <laughs> They're <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> because I, I'm a sicko at heart. Shout out Sicko's <laughs> committee. And uh, the, the fact that when I ever watch the games, though, I'm sitting there and I'm like, as an Iowa fan, we need to move the ball. And just the entire Northwestern game, I mean, if you score some points in the first half, you shut the door in the second half, yeah. and it's never close as it is in the in the fourth quarter. It, there's a lot of games like that where you're like, man, if we just would have punched it in instead of kicking a field goal or made a field goal, even if Drew would have made that one, I'm not blaming him. That's a long field goal. Um, it just leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. But again, week to week with all this team has dealt with, I think you have to be impressed with this team at that they're 7-2. and two. But if I, they're 7-5 at five, so the end of the season, then you're like, what if? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a razor-thin margin, and we talk about that with Iowa almost in every position. <laughs> Even though I'm not an Iowa fan, as it were, um, I am a UNI fan, and there's some similarities between the programs in some ways. And, and in that way, I, I would say that it's sometimes almost frustrating that there is still some success there because at UNI, I'm like, you know, to be quite frank, I feel like Mark Farley's got to, you know, step aside and make way for somebody else to take over there and do something at UNI. Um, and I feel like but they're, they're, they're successful just enough to not, you know, fire Farley. Um, they're just doing enough to be able to get him by. And it's like if I were a fan of Iowa, I'd feel the same way. Like, gosh, if, if you want a new head coach in there, you, you can't almost call for it until they have losing records and they just don't do that. So as much as it is impressive, I guess I don't know if the fans are happy with that or if they're like wishing that there was maybe a few more years where they were, you know, four and six or whatever, and then that would allow them to have a new new head coach in place, possibly, if that's what a fan wants. I don't mean to pull a receipt on you, Mike, but I think you had a tweet over the weekend of uh, alluding to the fact that it can be frustrating as a fan to see your team yeah. have positive reinforcement for struggling. Yeah. For it was, lack, lack it of was right term. after the, the game-winning field goal. Yeah. And I <laughs> was everyone screaming. else was celebrating. Yeah. I, I celebrate, and I'm like, you know, and I think I called it stupid football. Like they, they ran, run the ball into, you know, a bot, like a, they ran the ball three times into the line yeah. with, on a 55 yard field goal. When me, me, we talked about on Sunday, we wish they just would have got five, 10 yards closer to make this field goal easier. But then they make the kick and it's like, okay, that just reinforces <laughs> you did the right thing. Well, which you can't argue with that they won and kudos yeah. to Drew for drilling that kick. Kudos for the team for making it there and for winning that game. At the same time, it's like, 
why didn't you make it easier for your kicker? You know, you put all this pressure on him and he, and, you know, kudos it's, to Drew. It's kind of like, because that, by all accounts, that seems like a, an unwise decision in the coaching world just to like, to not try to get the ball a little bit closer, but it worked out. So what can you say about it? It's kind of like, um, I, remember when poker was popular? <laughs> I remember when we watched that on TV? I remember what- 20 years ago. I, I would watch poker while. on TV sometimes and-, and so, Phil Hellmuth, like everybody hated that guy. Poker Brett, yeah. He, he he would like get mad at people because they they would win a hand, but they played it wrong in his mind. Like sure. by the by they wouldn't play the numbers. numbers. Yeah, he was he's very meticulous in like percentages and whatnot. And, yeah. and I, can, I was a Phil guy. I can I can kind <laughs> of relate to that where it's just like you 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 did it, but you did it wrong. <laughs> like you won, but you did it wrong. Um, and so <laughs> I can did. understand the, the frustration. The two ironies in, in in this conversation is. And this could be just me not, you know, not knowing everything. But every time it seems like Kirk does go aggressive, calls three timeouts, and then tries to get the ball back, they fumble the like the punt return or something like that. Something happens where it reinforces like, hey, don't be aggressive on offense. Or two, if you know, the other irony is if he, if they go for ten yards and Deacon throws a pick, then we're just bashing them. Why would you let sure. this unproven? So like they, they run the plays, they run the yeah. running plays, and they get stopped. And like, well, at least we're. We're milking clock, and I think at that point, getting rid of a bit, as much clock as possible and making this truly as close to the last possession as possible outweighs the "let's get Drew seven eight. And it was tied, yards. so overtime was in the keys. If you missed, but it. I, I think yeah. if you're that Iowa offense, do you want to go for overtime? And again, you go back eight years ago when Newkirk kind of kicked in of like with a minute fifty left and a quarterback who wasn't getting the ball down the field maybe as much as you'd want. They might have played for overtime and lost that game. I mean, it's just with scenarios and what, you know what I mean? Yeah. It probably would have been a situation where, That yeah. just reminded me of the 09 game when Vandenberg, when we had a, a minute 30 or 40 and on the people clock. people roasted, I mean, it was tough. Oh, they kneeled the ball for overtime. Yeah. And, and yeah, people like, roasted him because they were like, go play for overtime, even what? if it's a redshirt freshman because James played really well in the horseshoe. Oh, we kneeled the ball for overtime. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. instead of like going down to get points, yeah, trying that's to get the, points. See, yeah. you go win a Big Ten title there. Yeah. I, I get it, but he, he was a freshman QB playing his first start but that now we're talking 08 09 <laughs> now this is kirk stuff just continuing <laughs> to dip back into like 15 year old games when, uh you guys can maybe tell when's the last iowa overtime game that they played uh that's a good question i feel like it's been a few years right ball state 2013 it can't be that no they they played a northwestern game in overtime i was driving up to lambo in like 2017 was or that 18. Eight, 17 or 18 yeah, yeah. i remember I that just, too I had just been. That's right. That's that would have been the last one at Evanston. As that game was slowly inching towards possible overtime at Wrigley Field, I was just trying to think about like, boy, when's the last time they played? And like, just kind of working through scenarios because I was like, I don't think that I was played in overtime under kind of the new rules where it's like in the was it in the third overtime you have to just set up a, it's just all alternating two point conversions basically. Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, boy, how how does this Iowa team? How do they look in overtime? Because it's like, well, you're you're in field position to get a field goal, possibly, and your defense can stop them from getting in the end zone. I'm sure. So, does that does overtime work in Iowa's favor or against them? Or uh, you know, we haven't had this a chance. This is a to truly wild stat. I looked it up. That Northwestern game in 2017 was yep. the last overtime game, and that year they had two. They played Iowa State uh, at Jack Trice. Yeah, 41, a team that 41, plays yeah. as many close games as Iowa does. It's wild that. You have to go back six years. Six years for that an overtime. Crazy. It was the Northwestern game in 2013, not the Ball State one. The Ball State one came like right down to the wire. Rudock found Jake Doozy like with 
30 seconds left to, to beat Ball State at home. That would have been a 10-10 game at overtime, too, against Northwestern in 2021. Yeah, there it is. Interesting. Clay Thorson. Oh, we know. This one was 7-7. Seven, seven. Clay Thorson with the uh, the go-ahead touchdown on that one. Fun trip down memory lane. A lot of great memories for a lot of Hawkeye fans there. Of course, you talk about maybe the offensive struggles, the defense, no such thing. A, a drive for the ages, a stand for the ages in Evanston, or it, at Wrigley in Chicago against Northwestern on Saturday. That goal line stand, Jay Higgins, certainly a huge part of that. And then on Monday is named a Butkus semifinalist, almost coming full circle considering where he was for last year's Butkus winner. Uh, it, it means a lot. Just I, um, They had me help present the award to Campbell last year. Uh, so I was just there for uh, that moment with him and his family and uh, how much he sacrificed to get to that to that point. And I, I remember telling myself, like, I, I want to do the same thing. And, I mean, when, you, when you're coached by Coach Wallace, when you play for Coach Parker's defense, I feel like any defense award uh, is a realistic thing to try to, try to get here. Um, and I feel like just the support of my teammates, um, I mean, I, I talk about how much I love my D-line and, how, how Nick and Kyler Fisher have just been helping me. Um, it, it makes it a lot easier just to go out there and play football. You, you focus on football and good things happen. And good things have more than happened for Jay Higgins this year. I know you talked to him, Owen, about closing in on uh, possibly a single-season tackles record at Iowa, which it sounds like he does as much as he can to avoid those conversations, despite what his father may text yeah. him. Yeah, Roy's out here trying to get in his son's head, <laughs> sending him tackle leaders all the time. It's, it's this, I, I would have to go through the record books a little bit more, but that tackles record, single season tackles record, is one of the more impressive ones in Hawkeye history. 72, right? 72. Yeah. Like, there are not a lot of records that go back to the early 1970s that predate Hayden Fry yeah. by a lot. Um, 171 tackles in one season apparently is a real difficult challenge, and if Iowa would have to make the Big Ten title game for him to have a chance of that. But if they do make the Big Ten championship game, he would have a very realistic shot at, uh, at beating that record. I mean, he's, he would need to average 12 a game, which is exactly what he's averaging right now, and, and he could get there. It started with that Utah State game. Uh, you know, he was a captain and the starter, and there was already some talk about, like, okay, like, what do you do to, to fill in for Jack Campbell or try to take the torch and maintain the standard? And I think that was the storyline coming out of that game aside from you know hey right off the bat you score a couple big touchdowns and all that was Jay Higgins is really really good and now I mean we're getting to the point we're probably a month into even mentioning the idea of like this kid looks like an all-american I this is a season that whether or not he breaks the tackles record for a single season you're talking about one of the greatest defensive performances from the from a linebacking core that is revered mm. in certainly the big 10 in college football that I was ever seen he has just been Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah. We had a chance to talk with uh, another former linebacker, Ed Miles, for yeah. Iron the Hawks, the television edition this week, and he's he's a guy that when I asked Ed as a, as Ed, a guy who played in the NFL, I asked him for guys on this year's Hawkeye team that could play in the NFL. He thought Jay was the first one that came out of his mouth. Um, he said that that guy's definitely going to play on Sundays, and a lot of NFL teams have to have picked up on his name this year, just looking and seeing like the amount of tackles this guy gets the. The, the nose for the football, as the cliche goes. The, he, he's just flying there every single play. Always around the ball. He's, he's yeah. doing things that few guys know how to do, and he, he's setting himself up for maybe kind of a Josie Jewell type of NFL career where he just goes there. He's just doing the hard work every day and just sticks with the team for, you know, could be a decade plus. Maybe it's because he's an indie guy. I don't know if he grew up a Colts fan at all, but, boy, 
You got to think, right? A, a little bit of Gary Brackett, maybe just a dude who hangs around the league forever and is just productive, 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 and help get a ring in Indianapolis. I, boy, if, if you're the Colts front office, maybe uh, yeah. take a gander at number 34, bring the hometown kid home. I haven't looked at many mock drafts or in, since we you know go to the, pretty much the game every week, I haven't been able to watch that much other college football. So I wonder where he stacks up among the other college football linebackers out there. Is he still, I, I haven't looked the last couple weeks, is he still up there first among power He's five players? second. I looked it up. There's a kid from Old Dominion that's averaging like 16 tackles a game. That kid yeah. has like 170 it's tackles. Insane. Like, that dude <laughs> has the how. record. I don't know how. We're gonna t- also, I just realized Gary Brackett was a walk-on at Rutgers. Oh. Time's a flat circle. Wow. But yeah, it's, boy, Jay, Jay's been great. And been so great that Nick Jackson, who's been fantastic coming in f- from Virginia, continuously gets lost in the shuffle. All Nick Jack- Jackson had a couple sacks against Northwestern and uh-huh. just... I was boy. way wrong. 141 for this Old Dominion kid, but that's still, still almost 30 more than Jay, which is wild. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And then, of course, Jay Higgins has had his fantastic year and Cooper DeGene has just kept doing what he's doing. Had another big punt return get called back uh, against Northwestern, uh, but just continues to be productive there. Talked on Tuesday about... Actually sitting down over the summer with LeVar Woods, special teams coordinator, and watching some film on another big punt returner from back in the day in Iowa City and just what he would, he and the rest of that return room were able to take away from watching film on Tim Dwight. This, this past, uh, right before the season, me and Coach Woods and, and a couple other returners were watching Tim Dwight. Um, but other than that, I, I haven't really. Um, you just... Just from watching football on, on TV, obviously you watch other returners, but that's that's about it. Yeah. What did you think of Tim Dwight when you were watching those shows? He was he was fast, <laughs> like really fast. Um, it was it was cool to watch, um, just to see you know how much different it is from back then to, to now. But he was he was he was a great returner. Yeah. Have you met him before? I've never met him now. No. What more do you think you can do on offense? <laughs> I mean, you can't give that. Away. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll help out in, in any way I can. Um, you know, whatever whatever they ask me to do you know, is, is is what I'll do. Had to leave in the uh, the offensive question because just that smile of like, yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to do more, wouldn't it? Um, a get. Cooper DeGene and Tim Dwight in the same room, for yeah. God's sakes. How long has it taken this long to get those two <laughs> in a photo opportunity? We were talking about this last night and just Cooper's NFL path. He's going to the league. He's projected a first-round pick whenever he goes to the league. Uh, people forget, at least I forget, that he's as fast as he is because he's a, a state champion 100-meter, right? Or Drake uh, yeah, relays, he, won a, he won the Drake relays in the 100-meter dash and in the long jump. But he's um, just so good at everything else that you forget the fact, oh, yeah, he's crazy fast, too, because uh-huh. he's just elite at everything. And again, making this punt return video, so had to put in plays back, that don't way. even count. Like, yeah. that gets called back, <laughs> and then, sorry to everybody watching on the stream, but we're going to look at Minnesota again, because again, like, that's why we're asking these questions. About, I was talking to uh, Coach Woods today during the coordinator's uh, availability, and that'll be on the on the Eye on the Hawks TV side with Ed Miles, too, and just like, when you've got a guy like Cooper or you've got a guy like Charlie Jones or Amir Smith-Marset, two guys who won Big Ten Returner of the Year, and you got to think Cooper's right up there, too, of just – it's not like offense. You can't just scheme around this guy and, like, we got to make sure our punt returner gets the ball because it's all up to whether or not the punt team is going to kick it to him in the first place. Mm-hmm. But you just talked about 
getting so deep into the fundamentals, make sure you are blocking as well as you can to make sure this guy who has that explosive ability can do what he can. We're probably getting to a point now where the Tim Dwight comparisons are are more than apt. I mean, listen, Amir was a speed demon. Charlie had all the speed in the world. It's getting to a point, though, where Cooper is right in that conversation with Tim of, of being one of, if not the best returner I was ever seen. And he's and a lot of that's just coming out the fact that he returns interceptions for touchdowns, but mm-hmm. it's just all all encompassing. And he does it without returning kicks for Iowa. Yeah, you got to think NFL teams love seeing these punt returns because, I mean, by and large, it's like I don't think they care about that invalid fair catch. And even the one he had this Tapes last week, it's like, <laughs> it's like teams are like, they, you know, they know that also was not to his to any fault of him that that called back. I mean, he was going to get that return one way or another. But it's yeah. a very interesting thing, though. Of that makes his it has to make his NFL film, right? I don't know what the equivalent of like huddle film is when you go from college to pros. <laughs> you know what film. I mean? Like the play doesn't count. Yeah. But everything you want to see from a guy, I remember. I think this was 2014. C.J. Beathard was still the backup, and he had this amazing throw. This might have been the, I'm not going to keep saying ball stakes. I'm probably wrong. He had a great throw, corner of the end zone at Kinnick to Damon Powell, where Powell like just couldn't get a toe down. But that was one of those first moments with like CJ Beathard, like, I don't care if that play doesn't count. That's an inc- that's amazing throw and catch. And it doesn't count the game, but you're like, is that one of those plays that you look at of like, does that factor into whether or not, you know, he gets the job in 15? It's just a, you know, we've talked about the coping process of getting over the return that wasn't against Minnesota. It's like, your eyes don't lie. You saw what you saw, and that's why it's still such an incredible moment outside of the controversy. I, I looked up uh, NFL mock draft um, that was just published a couple days ago by Pro Football Focus. Um, right now, they have Cooper DeGene going 22nd overall to the Steelers. For what that's worth. Well, you have to change a jersey. Yeah, <laughs> just keep those yellows in there. So one one little nugget from the Northwestern game that I, I thought was funny looking back at it was before halftime, Kirk uses his timeouts. And we're like, all right, they're going to try and score. And after they got the punt, they kneeled it. And we were like, it took us like, you know, we were having a little beers, but um, it took us a, a little bit to be like, oh, they just wanted to try to get a punt return. Like they didn't want the offense to try that's and the move play. the ball. Yeah, like that's, they were just trying for to coop another. You know, which like, which is a good play, I guess. It's true, but it also like, boy, it really speaks to the amount of confidence that this Iowa team has in their offense because they're they're like, if we. All we're relying on here is a punt return, and if they well, our <laughs> offense clearly isn't going to do anything. So let's just kneel it out and let the half let, let the half wind out. Yeah, you could look at it both ways. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, the that's, weapons, that's the, the weapon, case, yeah. right? Like that. They, yeah. ju- they just gave up once they didn't. Ha- Where did they get that punt? Where did they get the punt? I, I believe it wasn't that. It wasn't like close. I believe it was to, one no. that went over either went over Cooper's head or, or it was too far. He didn't catch it and it rolled back like ten. That's part of it too. It's just field position, yeah. I, and it's different when you gains 10, 15 yards. They might try for. A yeah, field goal. exactly. Um, and if you're in a nothing nothing game, and you know the margins are what they were on Saturday yeah maybe you don't risk it well we're gonna go from punt returns to punt punt blocking uh after the break because Iowa now has a guy who seems to have a knack for it so we'll talk about Ontario Thompson's uh affinity for the punt block after the break so if a play happens once not to take anything away from the player or players that are involved it's 
can sometimes be a little fluky. Hey, this is awesome. What a great play. Uh, and you file, the away, uh, file it away in the memory bank. If it happens twice, now you're a specialist at it. And we need to know how the sausage is made. Ontario Thompson with, you could argue, the biggest play of the game on Saturday with that blocked punt that set up the only touchdown in a 10-7 win. Second blocked punt of the season for him for the kid from Dubuque Hempstead, of course, had the blocked punt for a safety against Western Michigan there, and then he's been banged up, kind of in and out. Uh, asked him right away, walked right up to him on Tuesday during player availability and just said, what's the secret? How do you do it? So what's the key to it? How do you, how do you block punts? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, just really listening to the coaching. I mean, he put me in a spot where he knows it's going to be a soft point. So really just with my force and just my... Okay, I can't even say the word, but just with my speed and force, I was able to get a hand back there and just get my hand on the ball. Coach Woods was really just telling me, he showed me a block punt. I forgot what game it was a couple years back. I forgot doing the exact same thing, pushing the guy back, getting his hand back there. So he just told me to sleep on that, dream about that, and uh, be able to do it in the game. When you know you get one, what's that like? I mean, to be honest, at that point, I didn't even know I was going to get there. I mean, like... I didn't feel like I pushed them back enough, but I knew I had a pretty long wingspan and I was able to get my hand back there and get my hand on the ball. So it was a great feeling. We were just talking, if we could think of any other Hempstead guys that have played uh, major college football. The first name that comes to mind for me is Josh Lenz, who was a pretty darn good receiver for Iowa State back, hmm. shoot, 10 years ago now. Probably he was a great quarterback at Hempstead and then went and uh, was a really nice wide receiver. He had a great catch. Uh, it's one of my favorite shots that I've ever gotten. Uh, the season opener in 2011 from Steel Jance against you and I. It was David Johnson's, I think, first oh, college wow. game. Okay. Uh, and Jance had this crazy rollout, and he hits lens. And it's one of those, as a photographer, um, this is our kind of thing of, like, when you catch that ball in midair perfectly and get it right into the hands, like, that's the good stuff. So that's how I remember Josh Lenz so mm-hmm. well. He's uh, one of my favorite shots. But, boy, I, and I, Ontario Thompson, I, I heard uh, one of the SIDs yesterday kind of say as he was getting ready because he was out on the practice field for a while and then we finally got to talk to him of like yeah he's a little nervous I think that was his fir- the first time we've had him for player availability we talked to him after Western immensely well spoken tons of fun to talk to and uh, again in a season where the offense might not be putting up the numbers you want but the defense and the special teams are doing well particularly with the actual punting and the punt returns and the field goal kicking and a long snapper who's the best in the country give him whatever awards uh, you give for long snappers for, for Luke Elkin those plays like that, particularly in that game, mm-hmm. as big as anything you're going to have in a season. Yeah, you almost wish that they would rush those guys a little bit more often. And it seems like it always depends on the game. The coaches are scouting the other team's punt punt game to see if it's worth it or not to try to mm-hmm. send those guys. Because there are a lot of games where it doesn't seem like Iowa really puts the pressure on all that much for for punts. But when they when they really do go after it, which they did against Western all game, I mean, they were going after punts and they were doing the same against Northwestern. When they really go after it, they it seems like it's just a matter of time before they get there. He almost had two against uh, Western. LeVar yeah, brought right, that up yeah. today, too, of just like, yeah, we, know, we, we talked about that. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, you heard Ontario talk about it, too. He's got a wingspan. And I think there's a lot of guys that have talked about that he's probably one of the top five most athletic guys mm. In that locker room, which is saying a lot. There's a ton of great athletes, but you know, and, and it's easy, I think, sometimes to think about those guys in the trenches not being quote unquote athletic. There are some dudes, and we're going to talk about Jennings Dunker here in a little bit, that are immensely athletic, but because of the position they play, just have to pack on pounds in some pretty wild ways, as we'll hear from Jennings in a bit. But uh, boy, Ontario Thompson, again, has been trying to get out on the field as much as he can and stay healthy, but boy, when he's out there, 
he can show, especially on a unit that's as, as good as any in the country on the special team side. I he, think can, it, he can make an impact. I think he should give Hawkeye fans some excitement for if he – I mean, he came here as a D-tackle. Yeah. Like, that's what he's supposed to be. If he actually gets to the point where he is a true D-tackle and gets to play on the defensive line a lot, I mean, he could be getting to the quarterback. I mean, these plays we're seeing on punt team, he could be getting in there and getting sacks, piling those up. Is he a junior? I believe so. So, yeah, that's what I was wondering in the back of my head. When when you see him get those push off the line and he's blocked two punts, almost three now, you're thinking maybe next year when you have a few, you know, maybe openings in the the D line, he could be an athlete that could really come in and and make a big difference. He's a sophomore. Sophomore, okay. Sophomore out of Iowa Western. Um, One year there. And again, I think it was after the Western game uh, when he was at the podium, kind of shared his story. And again, for a guy who... Sounded like maybe was nervous about talking yesterday. He was very open and honest about, you know, during his time at Iowa Western, really got focused on his academics, got things right. And um, again, talk about a dude who we haven't seen a ton of, but boy, when he gets the opportunity to make an impact, 54 is doing his thing. Let's turn now to the foe at hand on Saturday, 2.30 kickoff at Kinnick Stadium, game on BTN. First game on BTN since uh, the Western Michigan game, I believe. But the Rutgers Scarlet Knights coming to town. Six and three in 2023, three and three in the Big Ten. Uh, gave Ohio State a scare on Saturday. And a big reason they were able to do that is the man who leads the Big Ten in rushing, Kyle Monagai. 903 rush yards. That is good enough to make him the only player in the Big Ten who's averaging 100 yards a game. And wow. you think about the stable of running backs all across the league, yeah. that's saying something. Sean Green famously, uh, I think he's the only running back in Iowa history who averaged 100 yards or, was hit, at the time. or hit 100 yards every single game. Maybe there's been guys that have averaged, but that was, what a wild, again, we're dipping back to games <laughs> 15 years later. This is an immensely impressive stat. We talk about Iowa and their ability to limit the, the big plays. Iowa leads the country with 12 plays this season of 20 yards or more allowed on defense. Second place is Rutgers, just 17 plays allowed of 20 yards or more. Rutgers, obviously, one of the newer members of the Big Ten. I didn't realize this until I looked it up. This is the first time they've played back-to-back games against each other. They played in 2016, played in uh, 2019, and then, of course, we're in Piscataway last year. I think 27-10 to was the final there. First time they've ever played back-to-back years as Rutgers makes their way, Greg Schiano and company, to Iowa City. So... Uh, they uh, Listen, they, they passed the eyeball test. We talk, talked about them in that season opener, which was their conference opener against Northwestern, where Gavin Wimsat and that offense, they play a lot like Minnesota. They play a little like Iowa, too, of just we're going to run the ball. We're going to control the clock. Their time of possession is nuts, and that's what they want to do. I mean, you're again, it's a bit of a mirror situation as Iowa tries to do the same as well. These, these two stats, I would say, still work incredibly in Iowa's favor because – uh, this reminds me a lot of the Wisconsin game going in where sure. they had a great running back and obviously still do. But, um, I mean, Iowa bottled them up. I mean, the, Iowa's defense is good enough that it's like no matter who you bring to the table, Iowa's defense is probably going to contain them for the most part. And, yeah, they give up not very many big plays. Well, Iowa doesn't run big plays. So, like, <laughs> who cares? They're not going to give up any of this game anyway. I was not going to get any of them. The one, the one thing I'm worried about, and Monaghan's a guy. I was watching that he's, first half. Yeah. He's very like, impressive. I asked, I asked Kyler. He reminds me a lot of Nate Carter from MSU. Mm-hmm. Just dudes who just yeah. pop you. The one thing that is concerning, just given the early season, you know, the one part of the Iowa defense with the, the get, that looked like concerning was running the read option, I think, with Wimsett and, and Monaghan. I, I, 
venture to think they saw that on tape and they might run a bit of that. And hopefully Iowa, you know, prepare, prepares for that because Wimsett can can run with the ball. And he's they got did. like an eighty yard touchdown run this year. Yeah. I mean, he's he he runs, and I don't think his completion percentage is over fifty percent. Again, we've rode the roller coaster of completion percentage <laughs> and what it means, and uh, got existential with it this year. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy who he's a, he's a run first dude. He, he can throw it a little bit, and they've got weapons on the outside uh, as well that are kind of go as he goes as you'd expect. But yeah, he's we, we've seen over the years Iowa against. Uh, particularly mobile quarterbacks can sometimes um, can struggle with that. But again, mm. we haven't seen this defense struggle against many scenarios at all. Their defense isn't that bad either. I know they got blown out from Ohio by Ohio State after a tough first half and then Michigan earlier in the season where it was close in the first half too. It wasn't as close to the final score at the end, but in the first half it was, if I remember correctly, it was kind of a game. Their defense, I think that's where I'm, where we come into offense, Iowa offense comes into play. It's just how are they going to move the ball if it's not through a turnover or a big special teams play, which is what they rely on. But um, their rushing defense is pretty good. I, they're solid, yeah. yeah. I, I think they're probably a lot similar to Iowa's defense in the sense of there's that line of attrition where I know for Iowa typically it's about 60 plays. If the defense is out there more than 60 plays and you're like midway through the third, okay, things are going to start going sideways quick and you saw it at Penn State they were just out there so much that this game that felt more like 17 nothing and 17 nothing kind of shut the door and everything now you get two more scores and 31 nothing looks like it was I mean it wasn't a fun game for anybody on either side mm-hmm. but uh, I think they've kept both Ohio State and Michigan and Ohio State scored late to cover much to some people's chagrin here on this uh, but they, I think they kept both games within three touchdowns which again against Michigan and Ohio State right now it's about all you can really ask for is final was thirty-one to seven against Michigan, but it w- it was yeah, so it was like I yeah. think fourteen or twenty-one to seven at half. Yeah, I th- I think it's probably a case like Iowa and I haven't looked it in too much, but it kind of feels like that of just if you give them sixty to sixty-five plays and they're only out there for that, they're going to be really stout. If you get past that, mm-hmm. that's you know they're they're built to be intense for for that amount of plays, and then maybe maybe you can get them on the backside of that. So we'll see what happens with Rutgers, but. Before we get into our Big Ten picks and everything, obviously we got to keep an eye on the offensive line for Iowa. Four offensive linemen went out with injuries of some kind or another against Northwestern. Sounds like Bo Stevens out. Obviously got carted off the field there at Wrigley. Usually not a good sign. Uh, Logan Jones was in a walking boot. Rusty Feth had been banged up, was able to get back in, was part of that final drive. Haven't seen Mason Richmond out there for a little bit. Sounds like everyone's kind of touch and go uh, from what, from what Kirk said, minus Bo Stevens, who's out. Uh, Tyler Ellsbury went in and played pretty darn well at center uh, in place of Logan Jones. Uh, we've heard a little bit about uh, Nick DeYoung and his versatility, so he was in there as well. Uh, Cade Peeper is a true freshman out of Nebraska who is now on the two deeps because of all these injuries. True freshman that it sounds like has made a lot of impressions, and that leads us into Jennings Dunker's diet. Because while he was being asked about Cade Peeper, it was brought up like, well, he's listed at 255. What's his real weight? He's like, oh, it's like 285 now. He's been carving up, as Jennings said, which then got into, well, Jennings, who was apparently like 340 in camp and has gotten down to like 329 as his target weight. People started asking questions about how in the world do you deal with the weight, add, subtract, whatever. And um, Jennings Dunker can put food away, you guys. How many calories a day are you eating now? I guess it would depend on the day. Like today, I'll probably do like 5,000 or so, but then like the day before the game, 
I'll probably hit like eight or nine. And then day of the game, I'll probably do like 10, I bet. And I'll probably eat like 3,000 during the game, two to 3,000 during the game. How do you get to 10,000 calories or close to that? You just keep eating. Like, I mean, it's not fun, but you just got to keep eating. <laughs> How do you so do during 3, the thousand? game? Are you eating at halftime? What are you talking about during? I'll come off the, uh, I'll come off from my drive and I'll just like eat a pack of gummies, which are like about, I think it's 160 calories or so. And I'll eat that. And then I'll drink like a body armor, which is 140. So about 300. And then I'll eat like uh, before the game at halftime. And then I'll keep eating like every series. So every drive you're eating after every drive? Around there. Yeah. Wow. Just, just candy. Do I ever puke? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's just kind of what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I puke, but that's just kind of what happens. Uh, I suppose 10,000 calories in old. I can't fathom. Like, listen, I, I, I still have some semblance of a metabolism where I can put away a pizza by myself and not die. 10,000 in a day, 3,000 while you're doing a strenuous physical activity is nuts, but probably necessary for those linemen. I don't have a great metabolism, <laughs> but I could still put away a pizza and uh, not be fine. But um, t yeah, th I think the most unpleasant thing is just thinking about the fact that like he, it's not like these guys are just, you know, hungry, but like they- He said it's not fun. Yeah. They get full and they have to keep eating. Like really think about that for a second, how unpleasant it is to when you feel like just stuff like awful and then thinking, I've got to shovel more food down my gullet. Like that- <laughs> The only time you reference having a gullet is when you're shoving food down. You don't Shoveling. just daintily <laughs> eat into your gullet, yeah. I think it's always hard to put inside your head like what 10,000 calories is. So a frozen pizza, well, I guess one piece of a frozen pizza. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I thought a frozen, okay, one piece is 314 calories. So you got to times that by eight usually. So it's so about a thousand. So about four frozen pizzas. Yeah, and a Big Mac wow. is 563 calories. Wow. Yeah, you make a few trips to a fast food restaurant. You'd be surprised how, <laughs> quick, how quick. I think, still, I think still like, like a quarter, a double quarter pounder meal at at McDonald's, that's kind of my go-to. It's that's, still 20 Big Macs a day. Yeah, it's, dude. <laughs> if I did the math It's still a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little I, less than There that. are probably weeks I don't eat 10,000 calories, which is probably and not great, but like, I mean, that's just so many. There's probably like four or five day stretches where it's tough to get that. It's, it's tough too, because like, honestly, it probably would not be terribly hard. Like if you challenged me to eat 10,000 calories in a day, I could do it. Do it. It would be crap food. It would be oatmeal cream pies and, you know, all sorts of You're sugary stuff. Melting ice cream down and just <laughs> drinking it. I think that's how Rob McElhenney on It's Always Sunny when Mac gained like 50 pounds in a season. I think that's legitimately what he did was just melt down ice cream and just drink it. But like, that's so much harder for these guys because they need the calories to be somewhat meaningful. You know, when he talks about gummies, it's like those protein gummies that are going to be able to like yeah. at least give you some energy and stuff. I mean, they have to be so... Uh, they really have to strategize those calories that they're intaking, not just eating whatever thing is going to make them fatter. It's, I don't envy it, but people wonder like, oh, how'd these, all these retired offensive linemen get so skinny so fast? They didn't have to do that for yeah. nine years. I was talk, it's one of the most fascinating things to me is uh -huh. the diet and then recovery, I think is probably the only word for it, for offensive linemen mm -hmm. that spend, you know, even just five, six, like seven Blythe years. Blythe came in here a couple weeks ago for Blythe, the Hawks, yeah. and he did not look like an, like an offensive lineman. I asked him about that, too, on, uh, on one of the Friday pods of just, like, what that transition <laughs> out was like. And he was never, to his words here, never a massive offensive line. He, uh, offensive lineman, I think he was, like, 295 maybe was his playing weight. But, again, like, for anybody else, 295 is big, yeah. but he's probably, he's got to be down. He said 40, 50 pounds probably. 
I asked him eight. how much weight. He said he's only lost 15 pounds from his point. Really? That's what he said. He looks like, like more. He's looking good. He does. He looks great, yeah. <laughs> he does. He, he's I was running like, around with the kids now. It's great. I was like, either you're wrong or <laughs> you were a thin NFL offensive lineman or something. Because, yeah, he did not look like if you just put on 15 more pounds, he'd be playing in the NFL. Yeah, so. it's wild. Yeah, to see, it's still stark to see Marshall Yonda. And he's been out of the league for a few years. But he, like, in six months just started biking and stopped eating 10,000 calories a day. And man, it's just, it's, it's wild to think about. And it just reminds you of how difficult that has to be to sustain. I mean, you you heard Jennings there, like, yeah, you puke sometimes. And it reminds me of, and I think maybe it's because he has red hair and Jessman Smith, who was an Iowa wrestler 20 years ago, did too. There was a, an ESPN series before 30 for 30, it was called The Season, and they would follow just a, a random team around for basically a whole year. And then they would do like these six part series. Um, I think it's still on YouTube if you look up the season Iowa wrestling. But Jessman Smith famously um, in that, like in the middle of a tournament or something, just like went over to a garbage can and like puked and then like just clapped and was like ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like he almost needed to, it was, a, it was a puke and rally, just not in the not in the way that some people collegiately may, may uh, frame it sometimes. Uh, just to close out the O-line conversation, it yeah. was interesting hearing about the peeper kid for, uh, yeah. that's going to be playing O-line. because he So he went to Norfolk Catholic High School for Nebraska, <laughs> uh, a program I have some familiarity with from my days covering sports over in Sioux City. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were in our viewing area. Um, Norfolk Catholic has like the absolute most legendary high school football program in the state of Nebraska. Their coach, Jeff Beller, has 400 plus like the all-time record by a mile of um, amount of wins for a high school coach in Nebraska. They win state titles. You know, they average a state title like once every three years, if not more. Um, and so, getting a kid from there to flip from Nebraska yeah. didn't he? Not that he committed, but just like to get him to get a kid out of Nebraska, Nebraska is yeah. impressive. There was an. I was thinking he must be the brother of this other kid that I covered over there. There's an Ethan Piper that plays for them, but his name is spelled different that also went to Norfolk Catholic. So um, no relation, but um, those kids love going down and playing for the Huskers when they get a chance to. So um, I'm excited to see what that kid can bring in a couple of years. Yeah, anytime you get a true freshman on the two deeps, you, yeah. whether or not it's injuries at, at Iowa, a place that <laughs> builds those offensive linemen, that's, uh, that says something about them. Got anything, Mike? Yeah, no, I was going to get ready for the ad break, oh. but no, I was just going to make, if I wasn't going to speak, I was going to say he's peeping the two deeps and you guys would have booed me. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, let's peep <laughs> these picks now. Um, always my favorite part of the week. I don't know what you guys think, mm. but boy, it's so fun to... No, it's fun to today. Your, Sunday, your, it's not great. Yeah, have your failures <laughs> thrown back in your face over and over. Uh this is going to be a fun week. There's some fun matchups here, and it starts with a, probably a game of the week in college football where Penn State's entire Big Ten East hopes are on the line here. This is an 11 a.m. kick on Fox. Number three Michigan, a five-and-a-half-point favorite against number 10 Penn State. It's in Happy Valley. If Penn State wins this, they still have a chance to win the East and go to Indy, but they got to take care of business. They had a really nice bounce back last week after that loss. In Ohio State, they uh, just went and manhandled Maryland and looked really, really good. Uh, you know, Penn State was kind of painted as a team that didn't totally go explosive all the time. Uh, they hung 50 on the Terps, so they're, they're doing something. So who we got here as uh, the Wolverines try to run it to 10-0? Two teams with a lot to prove. Michigan, sure. they're— This is their toughest game of the year by far. Yeah. They're rallying around the the scandal going around with Connor Stallions and, and Jim Harbaugh and— can you guys call me Mike Stallions from now on? No. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, 
Penn State, I mean, how many years has it been since they beat Penn State or, Michigan, or Ohio State? Like, they desperate for this win. Mm-hmm. I liked, it was it Ed Miles' take for the game? Yeah, I probably shouldn't say it. But he said, like, if it's a night game, he would, mm. he would love Penn State. Mm, it's not. It's 11. It's big noon kickoff on Fox 28, guys. So you're going to want to watch that. <laughs> I think Michigan covers. I think they're one of the best teams in the country. So. Yep. Uh, first off, a question. Has Blake Corm, has he been healthy all year? I'm a little surprised that he hasn't been higher in his yardage. He's only got 600. I think it's because yards. he probably only plays like a half a game. Yeah, yeah. they blow you know off I mean? almost I everyone. part of it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say this because I saw it on Twitter. But apparently him and Connor Stallings like, come on a business. Yeah, he came out and talked about that. He's like, oh, he I no, he's like, I have no idea why he's on that. Like, Blake Corum said that. Blake Corum said, yeah, he's like, I don't oh, wow. have any, I, anything oh, to really? do with that. I'm talking to my lawyers. Blake Corum has lawyers. Um, it was like we're we're getting that figured out. Wild. I shouldn't scoff at that. I mean, they have NIL deals. I'm sure they yeah. need legal representation. It's a, um, just the world we live in. I'm alone. The same. Uh, you know, somebody pointed out how much chaos it'll provide if Penn State beats Michigan and then Michigan beats Ohio State. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that that happens now, just to see like what would you know what would Penn State would go to the in the Big ships, East. Yeah. Would they? Would it be? Yeah, because it would be. Wouldn't it be the highest ranked team? I think they would have the tie because Ohio State would have. It'd be a three way tie. Oh yeah, it would be. Ohio State's got to lose another game. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of I kind of want the chaos to happen, and I think that um, Penn State will come out ready for this one. Michigan feels like uh, maybe this is the tipping point where the season just dissolves into chaos possibly a little bit. So I'll take Penn State. I'm going to take Penn State too. Uh, they were my preseason team to win the East. And uh, again, night game would be awesome. And I, I would feel more confident in that. This might be a field goal game. But again, this is Penn State's battle tested after a couple of weeks ago in Columbus. This is Michigan's biggest game, all the off-field stuff. I know they're using it to kind of rally around and circle the wagons. But this is Penn State's been here so many times and hasn't got it done or you know that when was the year they won the won the big 10 with trace mcsorley and saquon was that 17 17 or 18 Already. yeah boy um they're coming back penn state plus the five also kicking off at 11 o'clock on btn indiana going to illinois illinois coming off that big win at minnesota with a backup quarterback slinging it there at the end line i are six and a half point favorite against the hoosiers don't look now. Indiana's had a, a couple of good weeks in a row. They gave Penn State a battle. Great win last week. And they beat Wisconsin at home. Um, and Illinois is still wishy-washy, even though they got a big we win still last have, week. We're nine Minnesota. games in. I don't know what to think of Illinois. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. Indiana just because of the points. Hmm. I was looking over to see if Cason uh, was here yet, but he's not. I was going to get his yeah. take. He's, he's got some things to say about <laughs> Illinois. For those who don't know, is watching the stream. The weather office is right yeah. next to where we're taping this. It. Let's see. So... Illinois does feel like they're maybe starting to get things figured out. They always play close games. Um, you know, their last three have been 27-26, 25-21, 27-24. Um, so they're maybe getting to a point where they're starting to, to get it worked out. So Illinois is six-and-a-half-point favorites. Yep. Is that how I read gambling yep. things? Um, I think that Indiana will keep it maybe a little closer than that. I still think Illinois is going to win. Most impressive thing to me last week for Illinois is – they really bottled up that Minnesota rushing attack. I mean, Calais Manis had one of his best games of the year. But, and again, they, uh, Minnesota was coming off a game where um, Jordan Newman ran for 200 yards um, against Michigan State, but they bottled up that, that rushing attack really well. Uh, I, I feel the same way that I think Illinois is starting to play real well and they come to Iowa City next week. I'm going to take them to cover at home against Indiana, and I can't wait for the Hoosiers to 
prove me wrong. Huh. Final 11 a.m. game on Saturday. Maryland, two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road mm. against Nebraska. That game kicks on Peacock. Mm. Maryland's lost. Falling apart for Maryland. Yeah, yeah. I had high Started off 5-0, and oh, lost the last four. They yeah. played tough at Ohio State, too. That was their, their sixth game, wasn't it? I feel like that was a decent game. I believe so, yeah. Kind of got sideways again at the end. but Just as we thought Nebraska had got it figured out, they go and lose the, by Is Nebraska playing for a bowl State. game this week, or do they already clinch? They're four. And they lost last week. Four. So they need one I, more win. I got Nebraska in this one. I think they clinch a bowl game for the first time in, what, tw- 10 years or however many years it is? Not quite that many, I don't think. I think it was 2016 was last time. It's pushing. So, so, yeah. It was, um, and weren't they a 6 and 6 team that got in or something like that? They were 5 and 7. Maybe that was 2015 or 2014. Haven't had a solid strong game, I think. Eight years. <laughs> um, I, oh, man, kind of just a weird match, but get teams here both playing for bowl eligibility. Obviously, they're both five and four coming in. Um, I think I like. I think I like Nebraska. I'm gonna go Maryland. I, I Tagovailoa is just. He's better than the the offensive has shown, and I know it's going to be tough on the road. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Maryland will try to make this a shootout, and I don't think that's the style that Nebraska can keep up with. Again, they're, they're kind of a grounded pound, so I, I think Maryland maybe goes out and tries to right the ship well, and maybe it's uh, one of those, yeah, we've got beaten up in the east, and now we come to the west and exert some authority there. We go back to the Big Ten West, though, at Purdue. 2.30 kick on NBC. The Boilermakers, a one-point home favorite against Minnesota. Again, the Gophers dropping that game at home late against Illinois last week. I'm actually surprised to see Purdue as a favorite in this game when they're just 2-7 and seven and Minnesota's 5-4. and four. But, man, Purdue has really had to play a tough schedule this mm-hmm. season. Even though they have two wins, their losses are to Fresno, who I think they're still good, right? Fresno's good. Um, Syracuse, I guess I don't know what the Qs are doing right now, but they start off the year okay. Uh, then it's Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, Nebraska, and Michigan. Um, so I think that Purdue, these last few games could, you know, they're not going to make a bowl game no matter what, but I think they could finish strong. So I think I like Purdue to win. I'm going to go Minnesota. I think Purdue, just one of the, probably the bottom team in the Big Ten West. I mean, they're seventh right now. Um, I think Minnesota bounces back. I was surprised last week that they lost, to be quite frank, and I think they're going to handle Purdue on the road. Yeah, I think they'll bounce back well, too. Um, Get back to the ground game a little bit. and We'll take the Gophers to cover, plus the one, which is essentially taking the Gophers to win. Northwestern, coming off the loss to Iowa, goes to Madison now. 2.30 kick on FS1. The Badgers are a 10-point home favorite over Northwestern. Yeah, Badgers, 10-plus. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm going that too. I just, even though they kept it close with Iowa, I I don't think um, Northwestern's a very good football team. Yeah. I think they keep it within a touchdown. Hmm. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll take North. I, that's what Iowa does. And I think we've talked about this a little bit. They make everybody play that style, and I think it maybe from maybe a betting perspective or just a perspective in general makes you undervalue the team that they beat or they went sloppily or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's just they. It's that style of game that then they can go out and be like, oh, Northwestern hangs 30 on Wisconsin all of a sudden after, you know, scraping and clawing to get one touchdown with a minute 50 left. Uh, so I'll take Northwestern to cover and can't wait to. Uh, Northwestern plus 10, I believe, Mike. Whoops. Sorry. 
got to audit you on your Excel sheet. Uh, <laughs> Michigan State finally coming off their first Big Ten win of the season. Your reward, go to Columbus and be a 31.5 point dog to the number one team in the country, Ohio State, hosting Sparty, 6.30 p.m. on NBC. This one's interesting. And the last time I trusted Michigan State to cover a 32-point spread, uh, I got burned. Um, it's not really that interesting. Just the spread is massive it's just, yeah, for it's a Big huge. Ten game. This is usually a, a spread that you see when Ohio State's playing like Cream Puff U. Um, but I think that Ohio winning their State, division somehow. <laughs> yeah, Ohio State is going to cover this, uh, just like I, Michigan did a few weeks ago. I'm bound to agree. Yeah, I think Ohio State will win by a lot. Michigan State plus 31 and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> Taking some swings. They didn't keep within 28, right? They didn't against Michigan. It was like 40 to zero. There's another week <laughs> where Mitch is just trying to make up some ground. Guys? He's the contrarian for a lot of our picks this week. You know, yeah. Making it up, they're, baby. They're, they're really good. Could be, <laughs> could be the week. Hey, they, they showed enough against. Uh, I mean, that's a nice win for Michigan State. It is. Give Sparty a little credit. They can. Maybe keep it close. And then finally, we head to Iowa City. 2.30 kick on BTN. Rutgers at number 22, Iowa. One and a half point favorite are the Hawkeyes. We haven't really talked about this. It is Military Appreciation uh, Day as Mm -hmm. we go into Veterans Day. So, of course, thank you to all our veterans who have served and continue to serve. I'm assuming that means you get the red, white, and blue uh, American flag Hawkeye. Rutgers did that last week. They had on their logo on their helmet. It's always... a low-key alternate, mm-hmm. one I, I really, really like. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody like, likes those for the most yeah. part. Um, so who we got? Hawkeyes, one-and-a-half-point favorites. I've got a bad feeling about this. I, I think when we go back and forth through this team and we talk about the close margins, it's always just a 50-50, you know? I think this Rutgers team is, is better than a lot of Hawkeye fans might think. Or maybe they, they think they're good and, and Iowa's better, which could be the case. I just think that um, this is one of the weeks that the other team... Gets, gets the Hawks. Yeah. It's weirdly been like the forgotten game on the schedule, at least for me, all season, where it's just like kind of the game that you don't think, you're, you know, you're thinking about the rivalry games mm-hmm. and the senior day games and the road games and stuff. And then, oh, yeah, Rutgers we play in November, I They've guess. They've never played back to back. Yeah, and the fact that it's in November, <laughs> this always feels like, oh, yeah, September 22nd, they play yeah, Rutgers. Thursday night or something probably. Sure. Um, yeah, so it, it's just one that, you know, even though I don't think that a Kirk Ferentz coach team could fall into a trap game, it, it's a weird kind of trappy game because it's like, all right, next week is senior day, and then you got the Nebraska game after that, and so it just falls at a weird point. But um, I don't know. At the same time, I still feel like Iowa matches up well with, with Rutgers, so I think that this is a game that, uh, that Iowa will win. Yeah, I'm going to lean that way too. Iowa minus one and a half. Um, they, they just know how to win these games. Mm-hmm. Um, can't, really, can't really say much more than that. We've, we've talked about Iowa wins like 18 to 17. So then I win in <laughs> both ways. All right, so Mike found a loophole, <laughs> and that's – Boy, in six Drew Stevens field goals probably gets this done. <laughs> um, it, it'll it'll be interesting. We'll see um, Caleb Johnson if he he gets any play, no touches against Northwestern. I can't yeah. can't imagine him not being out on the field in in some capacity. We'll see if Cooper maybe gets a, a little more run on offense, and we'll continue to see if if Deacon Hill can build off a, a great play. We didn't even talk about Caleb Brown. Uh, got to talk to him uh, a little bit. On Tuesday as well, there were no logistical plans in place for him to switch his jersey once Cooper was out there. Since they're both number three, I asked him like, "Hey, like, did you guys talk about that?" He's like, "No, they just told me to 
put this jersey on, I went and put it on. <laughs> just throw it out. It's never as glamorous as you think it's going to be. We're going to be, oh, yeah, we like had this whole <laughs> thing figured out days it's, in advance. Like, nope, here's a different shirt. Put it on. Okay. Have we looked? Do we know if um, – I know that early in the season there were a number of times where Logan Lee had to put on a different jersey when he was out there on the uh, PAT. Yeah. Sure. Was that number 81 as well? No. Oh, oh, oh actually, I don't know. I'd say it was 90-something. But maybe oh, it's just because eight and nine look right. so close. I was, I was just like, do they have just one reserve jersey on the sideline that anybody who needs to switch? It's like up when you're to, scrimmaging, you, you just go. got like what? What are the <laughs> what are like the pennies? Yeah, just like, yeah, throw yeah. this on. This is this is my go catch a twenty three yarder to set up a game winning <laughs> field goal shirt. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see what all unfolds there. Uh, obviously, one catch for Caleb Brown, and people are finally. Uh, getting what they wanted out of him, and hopefully uh, he can maybe do a little bit more. So we'll see how everything goes. Of course, we'll be back here Sunday at noon. Can I give one shout-out real quick before we go? Please give shout-outs. I just want to give a shout-out to the Hawkeye women's soccer team who won the Big Your Ten Big tournament. Big Ten champion? Big Ten champions. Uh, they were at Carver for the women's game, Pretty I believe. Cool. They play Buck now, is that correct? And right. Iowa City this Friday, I'm going. I'm super excited. This awesome. is my first women's soccer game super since I was awesome. in college. Uh, I'm a big soccer fan, so I just want to give them a shout-out. First out. time I was ever hosted at NCAA it's true. Um, I think they won the game. tournament twice a couple of years ago. Um, they did it. So program going in the right direction at Iowa. Yep. I saw Bucknell men's basketball at UNI Word. back during the uh, the bracket buster days on ESPN. Remember that when they'd have some just random mid-major yeah. uh, matchups there? The bracket in busters. January, or February. February. Yeah, that was, those were great. Super, super fun. That was my first exposure. I was like, what's Bucknell? Oh, it's a school <laughs> that's I'm going to hear about for two weeks out of the year every like three or four years during basketball season. And then real quick, there was one question in the, in the chat. I yeah. wanted to get back to it because um, we didn't touch on it. Um, Noah Shannon, have you guys heard anything about his status? This has been weird. So it was, this was the week that the vote was supposed to happen after it got delayed two weeks mm-hmm. ago. We've gone from, it sounded like everyone being pretty optimistic, Kirk included, to now Kirk being like, I'm not, who knows? Yeah, yeah not optimistic. He, he's very he, strange. I, I forget his exact wording, but he even said something yesterday about like, basically being not optimistic just with the way that the NCAA works. You know, just dragging their feet. Yeah. I wonder Which, how much, even though there's probably separate committees, I would assume and hope there's separate committees for this, but with all the Michigan stuff and the sign stealing, does that take away resources from I mean, it's a vote. Just raise your hand or don't raise your hand and it's done. I don't know. Seems maybe like they came I, up maybe with I'm these, oversimplifying it. I'd like to think I'm not simplifying it. It, yeah. it seems like they came up with these like, oh, hey, we screwed up. Let's change these rules and like, you guys have a Thursday free in five weeks? <laughs> well, it seems like they, um, at least what I read initially when they pushed it back, like some of the chancellors or, or presidents wanted to get more input. And it just, I, I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but like it's really one school that's impacted right now and it's Iowa, right? Other than Iowa, well, Iowa State. And they got yeah. some guys too. They've got some guys too. Yeah. A little bit. But it's like our, some teams trying to slow the process down. I don't know. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but just kind of annoying. I just feel bad for Noah Shannon. Yeah, yeah. I know. We, we'd all kind of hope that he'd be able to come out there and have his moment on senior day next week where he's able to run out on the, on the field one more time. Which maybe he does, but also yeah. then it's like you get two games, maybe three, maybe four, and it's still like... But a lot's going to have to change in the next you know 10 days for that to be able to happen yeah. on senior day. So hope so, but I don't know. Everything I asked uh, Ontario and... Uh, Maybe Jennings or somebody else. Just like how he was looking. I get Jay, I think I asked too. And they're like, he looks great. We'd love to have him back. But we'll see. To be continued as it has been for Noah Shannon. But of course, like we said, we'll be back here Sunday breaking everything down after Iowa Rutgers on Eye on the Hawks. So thanks for tuning in. For Mike and Owen, I'm Mitch. We'll see you Sunday.